Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 383. Hi, I'm Stephen M. R. Covey, the author of the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Speed of Trust, the one thing that changes everything. Shift your professional growth into high gear every time you listen to this. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Trust is the most overlooked, misunderstood, and underutilized asset to enable performance. Its impact for good or bad is dramatic and pervasive. It's something you can't escape. Thankfully, it's also the thing that can dramatically improve your personal and professional success. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional success. Each and every week, you and I are joined by a new author to talk about the key insights and main ideas from a book they've written. It's sort of an audio cliff's notes, if you will, straight from the author themselves. That author today is none other than Stephen M. R. Covey. He visited us last year to talk about his father, Stephen R. Covey's 30th anniversary edition of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen is here today to talk about his book, now in its 15th year and itself a classic, called The Speed of Trust. I'm going to be asking Stephen to share about why the inability to trust ourselves is often the source of our suspicion in others, some of the common misconceptions when it comes to trust, the fact that while extending trust can be risky, not extending trust is often more so, and plenty more. If you're enjoying this episode on the day of its release or soon after, we are three weeks away from the release of my first ever book written with Jesse Wisniewski called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. Our guest today, in fact, has endorsed that very book, along with folks like Dan Miller, Michael Hyatt, John Acuff, Seth Godin, Pamela Wilson, and many more. I want you to have it for 40% off. That makes it about 11 bucks, and you can get that 40% off when you go to readtoleadbook.com. I'm also going to throw in, for good measure, $500 in additional resources. So all of that, the book itself, and the $500 in extras for about $11. If you're one of those folks that says, Jeff, I really want to hold out for the audiobook. Well, guess what? When you purchase the physical book for 40% off at readtoleadbook.com, you also get the audiobook. You get a bonus chapter that I didn't finish in time to include in the book, and it's my wife's favorite. In fact, you get that and more at readtoleadbook.com. In that you listen to a show like this one, you're probably already convinced of the power of an intentional and consistent reading habit. That argument is indeed made in this book, but it's only the first third of the book. 
In parts two and three, you'll also learn how, when, and why to choose the books that you read, how to develop a consistent reading habit if that's something you struggle with, and also, and probably most importantly, how to take action on what you read, how to do something with what you're learning along the way. That and more in Read to Lead, the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. Only three more weeks left to get that 40% discount because then it goes away and so do those $500 in additional resources. Again, it's readtoleadbook.com. Stephen M. R. Covey is the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, the book that we're digging into today, which has been translated into 22 languages and has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. He's also the co-author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Smart Trust. Stephen brings to his writings the perspective of a practitioner as he is the former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, where he increased shareholder value by 67 times and grew the company to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. A Harvard MBA, Stephen co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust practice. He serves on numerous boards, including the Government Leadership Advisory Council, and he's been recognized with the Lifetime Achievement Award for Top Thought Leaders in Trust, from the advocacy group Trust Across America, Trust Around the World. Stephen is also a highly sought-after international speaker who has taught trust and leadership in 55 countries to businesses, government, military, education, healthcare, and NGO entities. I am delighted to welcome him back to the Read to Lead podcast a second time, hopefully not the last time. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff, it is so good to be with you again. Loved it last time. Excited about today, too. Well, uh, you might remember we talked to Stephen last time he was here about his dad's book, uh, the 30th anniversary edition of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I solicited questions from you for Stephen. And many of you, and Stephen, I don't think I shared this with you, many folks who wrote in questions in the context of their question mentioned, dropped dropped a, a blurb about speed of trust. So this book has has truly impacted millions. I mean, we know it's sold a couple of million copies. So a lot of people right. have been impacted this. And I'm thrilled to be able to have you back on to talk about it. Uh, let's start with uh, something you you address early in the book. And I think it's it's good for context uh, for the rest of the conversation. It's this this idea of personal incongruence, the inability to trust ourselves and how that's often the source of our suspicion uh, of others. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting because when it comes to trust, we tend to project out on everybody else, mm. whether we can trust other people and, and are they trustworthy and the like. And, and there's merit to all of that. I understand it. But the key insight and in learning when it comes to trust is to always look in the mirror mm. as a starting point. That doesn't mean we, don't, we, look, we, we shouldn't look out the window as well. We should, but mm. we need to start by looking in the mirror and asking the question, you know, do I trust myself and do I give to my team to my partners, to my colleagues, a person that they can trust? Is it smart to trust me? And if we do that, if we start with our our own sense of self-trust, then it becomes a far more natural and easy thing to trust others. But but when we don't trust ourselves, it's hard to build trust with other people. And sometimes people maybe have a little gap in their own self-trust for whatever reason, and that can get in the way of of, uh, you know, how they interpret whether they can trust other people and they may not even be aware of it. So it's, it's really a, a fascinating thing. I'll share a little story if I could sure. on that, if you, if that'd be helpful. Yeah. I'll never forget one time I, I gave a presentation 
And so, and we had a break. Someone came up to me at the break and said, Stephen, this is really, uh, really useful to me because you talked about how trust is built from the inside out. And I'd use the metaphor of the ripple effect. The drop of water comes down, the ripples, you know, the waves, they started at the inside, they rippled out. The very first wave of trust is self-trust before relationship trust, before team trust. And he said, when you talked about those five waves of trust and how it starts with yourself, I realized what my problem was. And then he kind of looked around and made sure that no one was looking. And he whispered into my ear and he said, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. And I realize now I'm projecting that distrust out onto everybody else. Mm. He goes, I'm not happy with where I am with my life, my career. I've always blamed everybody else. I can't trust my boss, go to another company, can't trust that boss, another company, that country, you know, wherever I've gone, I just can't trust people. But I've never realized my problem until today. And I realized that I don't trust myself. Mm. You know, so what do I do? And, and that was, that was a self-awareness of, of recognizing that if you don't trust yourself, it's hard to trust others. And so it's self-evident, but I'll tell you what, we often kind of skip that step. That's a great example of how, as you've shared your trust-related messages over the years, it's really managed to open a lot of people's eyes. Um, share a bit about the effect of trust on two outcomes in particular. You know what I'm hinting at there? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I make the point that trust always affects these two measurable outcomes, speed and cost, speed and cost. And here's a simple formula if you think about it. When the trust goes down in any relationship or when it goes down on a team or in a company, in a culture or with a customer, in any relationship, when the trust goes down, you will find that the speed goes down with it. Everything will take you longer to do mm. and the cost goes up. Everything will cost you more to do. Now, that is a tax. <laughs> it is a low trust tax. It is a wasted tax. And the examples of that tax are all around us. So just think about someone that you work with where for whatever reason, you don't fully trust the person. My guess is it takes you longer, costs you more to get anything done. Or how about when you've been on a team, when there was distrust on the team and you try to get things done, but people don't trust each other. Everything takes longer, costs more. That is, that, that's the tax. But here's the good news. The converse is equally true. And when that trust goes up in a relationship, when the trust goes up on a team, in a company, with customers, with partners, in the marketplace, when the trust goes up, the speed goes up with it. We can do everything faster and the cost comes down. It costs us less. Now that is a dividend, a high trust dividend. And that also plays out all around us. So just, just reflect on a relationship you have with someone that you trust. Think about someone you trust. What's it like to work with that person? How fast can you move? Low cost. How about when you've been on a high trust team? The speed at which you can move. How about when you build trust with a customer? You know, it comes time to renew your agreement and they trust, you trust each other. Speed happens when people trust each other and nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. And so I use that idea that, that high trust is a dividend and low trust is a tax and how it impacts speed and cost to quantify the economics of trust. That trust is not just some soft, warm and fuzzy, you know, nice to have social virtue. <laughs> it is a business driver. It's an economic driver. It affects the speed at which we can move and the cost of everything. And you can put a financial value on it. You know, Stephen, when I think back to when I last held a regular job, which was about eight years ago, 
there was a core of us, uh, our leader, and then and three of us who answered directly to him, who still uh, keep in contact uh, today. And we reminisce about that team, that core, and about how effective it was. And as we reminisce about that, uh, it always comes down to the reason that we were able to accomplish what we did is because we trusted one another. And there's there's nothing quite like it in, in that team setting. When you have that, it's it's something truly special, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, that's a great illustration, Jeff. When you have it, it is memorable. It's exciting. It's energizing. It's fun. And, and you do remember, and you, and you also, it sets a standard for what's possible and what you want to try to recreate and do again. And then when you don't have it, the contrast between what you've had before when there's been a high trust team, high trust culture is just different in kind than when there's a low trust team, low trust culture. And you long for what you had. You remember it. And and um, and so it really raises our sight, sets the standard of what is possible. So it's not only greater speed and lower cost, you know, kind of the economics. And I call this, a, you know, how high trust is a performance multiplier. Mm-hmm. It literally makes you better at everything you're trying to do. Not only does it make you better, it also brings in energy and joy. It's more exciting. It's more um, energizing and passionate and inspiring. And it's a lot more fun, mm. happier, joyful. And uh, whereas low trust is exhausting and no fun. <laughs> and so, you know, we want that today. You know, we have too many options and choices to be in low trust environments and teams where it's exhausting and no fun. I'd rather be in a situation with relationships and team in a culture with a lot of trust and there's high energy, high joys, fun. It's exhilarating, inspiring. And that's what trust us. Mm. So greater economic outcomes, but also greater qualitative you know, outcomes, well-being, happiness. Stephen, what would you say are some of the more common myths many people have when it comes to trust? Is there, is there a list you think of when you think of some of those? <laughs> yeah, there's a number of myths. You know, one is kind of that trust is, is uh, slow. Now, I will acknowledge that Building, creating, establishing that trust may take some time, but once you understand kind of what trust is, how it's confidence that comes from having both character and competence, and once you kind of understand that and work on behaving your way into trust, once you get trust, you can move exceptionally fast in a way that you can't move without it. So maybe building trust will take a little bit of time. But once you get it, nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. It is the dividend, the outcome of when of establishing trust. But I also believe you can establish it a little bit faster than you than you might have thought when you understand how trust is built through your credibility and your behavior. So that's one myth that trust is slow. I say no, trust is fast. Hmm. Another is that you either have trust or you don't. It's either there yeah. or it's not. And I like to say, well, that's your starting point. You know, we all start with a level of trust, whether it be, you know, low, medium, high, or anywhere in between. But I make the point that in the same way that you can diminish and lose trust through your behavior, you can also consciously, deliberately build it, grow it, extend it, expand it through your behavior. And in fact, you can get good at building trust on purpose. So it's not you either have it or you don't. No, it's trust is a learnable skill. Mm. Trust is a competency. 
Trust is something I can create and grow intentionally. And that's kind of a paradigm shift from the idea that you either have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, no, it's learnable. It's a learnable skill. And maybe another one I'll mention is that kind of that trust is, you know, character only. And it is character. Character is the foundation, but it's also competence as well. Because, you know, someone could be honest and nice and caring, and I might trust them to watch my home if I went on a vacation. But if they don't deliver and perform and come through on their job, if they're not current and relevant and skilled, and they don't have a a track record of performance of results, I might trust, I might not trust them on the key project, the key client, the key deliverable, the key opportunity, if they don't have a track record of performing, even though they might be very honest and caring. So I, I want them to be honest and caring. That's the integrity and intent, their, their, their character. But I also want them to be, you know, capable and performing. That's, that's their competence. And, and, uh, and when I see both character and competence, I can build trust on that. And too often kind of people just say trust is only character. And I'll say, no, character is the foundation, but it's also competence. Mm. And you won't sustain trust with character only. You need to have competence as well. And, and that's kind of a, for some people, that's a paradigm shift that have just viewed trust as only the character. And I'm saying, no, it's character and competence. Mm. Some people, I think, Stephen, worry about the risk involved in extending yeah. trust to other people. Why do you believe there's actually more risk in not extending trust? Jeff, this is my favorite question <laughs> because <laughs> let me just say up front, I acknowledge there is a risk in trusting people and to not acknowledge that would kind of be skirting the reality that, gosh, this feels risky. Yes. So I think saying that, yes, there is a risk in trusting people So you want to use good judgment and make sure that it's a smart risk, a calculated risk and the like. But we also need to stand back and say, but what if we don't extend this trust? What about the risk of that, of not Mm. trusting people, of what that does to them when we don't trust them and how they tend to not trust us back, of how they don't feel inspired, how they don't feel empowered, how they don't feel like you believe in them. And and how maybe also you can't unleash their creativity and their talent and their potential and the possibilities that could happen. And and um and maybe because people don't feel trusted, they say, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm gonna go find a place where I am trusted. Mm-hmm. And they leave and you lose great talent. So there's a risk in trusting people, and there's also a risk in not trusting people. And in a world in which the whole name of the game is collaboration mm-hmm. and innovation. And moving fast, being agile, and attracting and retaining and engaging and even inspiring great people, the best people, so that we win the war for talent. You know, if you don't trust people, they'll go find a place where they are trusted. (laughs) And I think the greater risk in our world today is not trusting people, Mm. as opposed to that we trust too much. I think our greater risk is we don't trust enough. But I'm not advocating just a blind trust, you know, just indiscriminate. Mm. Trust anyone and everyone regardless. Now, use good judgment and and uh, always have expectations and accountability around the trust being given. But I would challenge all of us as leaders to become far more trusting because of how being trusting, what that does to other people, how it unleashes them, how it inspires them, how they rise to the occasion, how they perform better, and how they give the trust back to you. Mm-hmm. And to not do that is maybe the greater risk. 
you know, I identify with that so well, that team I spoke of earlier, the leader, his name is, is Matt. That's exactly what he did. And we would have gone to battle for him. Uh, he extended that trust and it just made us want to go out of our way, not to ever let him down. Yeah. Um, isn't that something? I, I'll just tell a brief yeah. aside on that. I was with uh, Grady Rogier hmm. and he's the, the CEO of McLean, a big food services company. They were, I forget the size now. I think it's like 40 something billion dollars. So hmm. Big company. But they were acquired a few years ago by Warren Buffett's company, you know, Berkshire Hathaway. Mm -hmm. And the whole deal happened after a two hour meeting. You know, they shook hands. The whole deal happens. Huge deal. But now McLean, uh, Grady Rozier is reporting to Warren Buffett at the time. And he said, you know, Warren just trusts us. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. And I'll tell you what, when Warren Buffett trusts you, you don't want to let him down. <laughs> You're, you know, I'm, I'm working harder than ever before because I don't want to let Warren Buffett down. I feel inspired by this, both by the person, but also by the trust he's giving. And you know, that's the greatest inspiration more than any control or any kind of responsibility put on me. I want to live true to the trust I've been given. And, and, uh, and that's what happened. Just what you just said. When someone trusts you, you want to perform for that person. You want to give the trust right back to them and right. show that it was justified. It brings out the very best in all of us. Well, let's dig into uh, some of the uh, waves themselves. You already mentioned uh, the first wave uh, related to you know, personal credibility. What does it mean to behave yourself out of problems you've behaved yourself into? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, is, this was a great expression my father had in seven habits. And I use it in speed of trust as well, because it applies here. And the idea is this, that you can't talk your way out of a problem that you behave your way into. And, and the point is, if we've lost people's trust through our behavior, then words alone won't get it back. The only way to get it back is to behave our way back into trust. So it's not just cheap talk. It's going to be strong action, real action. It shows that we are regaining, restoring, reestablishing the trust. But I do believe that you can, in most situations, you can behave your way back into trust. Mm. And that is hopeful because we've all made mistakes and we all come up short. We can right or wrong. We can make it right when we're wrong. We can, we can overcome a trust, a trust deficit where the trust has gone down and say, you know what? We've lost trust here or the trust is too low in this relationship on this team but we're going to try to reestablish it. We're going to try to regain it, regrow it. Mm. And so, you know, the first step of behaving your way back into trust is to take responsibility for it, to own it. It's hard for someone to restore trust with somebody else if they never take responsibility for it. You know, kind of saying, hey, it's not my fault I lost trust. It's their fault. Now, trust me. No, no one's going to trust you. You know, but when someone comes up and says, we made a mistake here, we take responsibility for it, we own it, I was wrong. I own this. I'm going to make it right. That's a good starting point. Take responsibility. I call that practice accountability. Then you right the wrong, you know, which is make it right when you're wrong. That it might include making an apology and making restitution, a legal concept to make whole. And then I think you got to clarify expectations of how you're going to try to regain their trust going forward. So you tell them what you're going to try to do to regain their trust you know, which is, here's what I'm going to try to do. Does that work? And you listen to the other party. Will this help? You make commitments this way. And then the most important thing is now you do what you just said you were going to do. 
Mm. You, you make not only make the commitments, but you keep the commitments and you behave your way back into trust. And it takes you some time. It's, it's harder to restore trust because you're, you're in a deficit and you've got to regain it. And that will take you longer. That will take mm. you longer than establishing it the first time when you've never lost it in the first place. Mm. But. I believe it's possible to restore trust if you're willing to behave your way back into it. So practice accountability, right wrongs, mm. clarify expectations, what you're going to do to regain it, and now keep commitments. Do what you say you're going to do. You do that well, you can regain, reestablish, restore the trust. When we, fin- when we finish our session here, I'll end with a little restore trust story in my own family. It will give our listeners a lot of hope mm. because we all fall short. And if you couldn't restore trust, We'd all kind of be circling the drains. Well, the the third, uh, the fourth, and and the fifth waves, Stephen refers to as the uh, stakeholder uh, trusts, as I recall. Stephen, as best you can, sum up for us the concepts of, of organizational, market, and societal trust. So here's the idea again. Envision the ripple, the drop of water coming down, and then the ripples, the mm-hmm. waves. They start at the inside, they ripple out, and the first wave is that self-trust. Then it ripples out the next wave, relationship trust. Then it ripples out the next wave, which is organizational trust, what you're asking about. The next wave, market trust. The next wave, societal trust. And those last three, organizational trust, market trust, societal trust, that's all about our stakeholders, our external stakeholders. My main point is that always start with self and relationship first. And so often people say, well, we've got low trust in our organization or in the marketplace, and they never look in the mirror. And, and so always look in the mirror first. Now, having looked in the mirror, you now want to move out and you need to move out into your team, into your organization and to customers. And in the same way that you build trust internally through your credibility mm. and through your behavior is how you build trust externally in your organization or, or with customers or in the marketplace or with, with stakeholders, with shareholders, with, with the regulators you know, with partners and and vendors and and suppliers, you build it through your credibility and through your behavior. And so you focus on your credibility. That's your character and your competence. You give them a leader, a partner, a team that they can trust. You also focus on your behavior collectively. See, you know, are we behaving in ways that build trust? Not just personally, but are we doing it as an organization collectively? Do we listen to our customers? And do we demonstrate respect for what we hear? Do we Clarify expectations. Mm. And then do we keep the commitments to those expectations Mm -hmm. and do what we say we're going to do? We talk straight. Are we spinning as an organization? So you can apply the same principles around your credibility and your behavior, not only to you as a leader, but also to a team or to an organization. And so it's the same principles, credibility and behavior, just applied in a different context. And and, um, here's the point I like to make. You're really never going to sustain trust externally with outside stakeholders if inside your team and your organization, you have toxic distrust because it's just incongruent. Think about it. It would be incongruent to ask people who you don't trust to go out and build trust with customers because they're going to at some point project that distrust that they feel from you (laughs) out into those relationships. But it is so congruent, natural, and abundant to ask people who you trust to go out now and build trust with customers. So inside out, we start at the inside, we move out. And the point of the last three waves, organizational trust, 
market trust, societal trust, is that we do need to move out. Mm. It's not enough to just be inside only. Mm. It's not, the principle is not inside only. No, it's inside out. So start with yourself, look in the mirror, but you do need to ripple out to relationships, to a team, to an organization, out to your customers, and ultimately to society. And that's how we'll begin to make a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs put it. <laughs> no, just yeah. to, we begin to have an impact. We'll ripple out into the relationships and we do it kind of one relationship at a time, one team at a time, one customer at a time. But imagine if enough of us do this, we'll start to impact our world, mm -hmm. our society. Inspiring uh, trust is, is touched on near the end of Speed of Trust, Stephen. I noticed the title of your next book, the one you're working on now, I believe, is Trust and Inspire, The New Way to Lead. Does this book owe any of its origins to the section that ends Speed of Trust? Absolutely, it does. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to say that we need a new way of leading in our world, which has changed so dramatically with all the forces of change upon us, technology, disruptive technologies, the pace of change, the amount of change, unprecedented, multiple generations at work with completely different expectations, the diversity, the, the choices, the options, work from home, work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. People have all these choices now. So the war for talent has never been more real. So what's going to attract that talent, retain mm -hmm. it, engage it, even inspire it? Well, we, you know, it's, it's people feeling that they, they're purposeful. They're part of a team and a culture like you described with your, that team you felt such a high trust relationship with. And so we need a new way to lead in a new world. The old way to lead is kind of the old command and control. And it's a mindset of, you know, we try to control people in situations where be efficient. And what's happened is we've become better at it. We've become more enlightened at it and more sophisticated. And it's, you know, we brought trustworthiness to it, which is a good thing. We brought, um, emotional intelligence to it, even mission to it, all good things. But our paradigm is still too much that where we kind of manage people like things. The idea is rather than command and control, even enlightened command and control is a better way to lead is what we might call trust and inspire, where you model the kind of behavior that's needed today. You trust people and you inspire them. And how do you inspire them? By connecting with people through caring and through a sense of belonging and connecting to purpose, to meaning, to contribution, the idea of mattering, significance, making a difference, leaving a legacy. And the, and the whole idea here, Jeff, is that everyone can inspire. It's not just for the charismatic. Mm. That's kind of our perception of got to be charismatic to inspire. No, everyone can inspire because you inspire when you connect with people through caring and a sense of belonging, like you felt on your team. And when you connect to purpose, to a sense of purpose, meaning, contribution, making a difference. You know, life is about contribution, not accumulation. Mm. And you're tapping into that desire and everyone can do that. And so mm. trust and inspire is a new way to lead in a new world. It will, it will help us bring in the best people and keep them and, and retain them. But also we can collaborate and innovate, stay relevant in this changing world so much better with this type of approach to leadership, trust and inspire instead of command and control. Love That's it. the idea. And so, yes, inspiring trust is part of it. And I just said, yes, it's inspiring trust, but it's also I'm trusting to inspire as well. It goes both directions. Does that book have a release date yet? That you're yes, to March 29th. 
2022. Okay. Well, uh, if you're willing, when the time comes, I'd love to have you back on to talk about that book some more. I'd love to come back on, Jeff. I always love doing the Read to Lead podcast because it's a great opportunity to share these ideas in a way that's kind of maybe you can go a little beyond the book and have a real mm-hmm. conversation on some of these things and, and just your whole approach, Read to Lead. And the idea that there's so much wisdom and insight out there that we can tap into. Mm. So I love what you're doing, Jeff. And so mm. anytime you. I have a chance to be on your show, I'm here. Appreciate that very much. Well, you mentioned a moment ago that you wanted to end with a personal story. I want to give you a chance to, to go back to that. Absolutely. So the purpose of this story is just to illustrate how, while you can't talk your way out of a problem you behave your way into, in most cases, you can behave your way out of a problem. Mm. that you behave your way into, and in fact, maybe even go to a higher level. So a few years ago, my son had turned 16, so he can drive, right? That's what happens, turn 16. And so my my wife and I sat down with him and said, hey, son, driving is a privilege, not a right. (laughs) So let's kind of go through some rules. We said, look, we're happy to let you use the family car. We'll even pay for the insurance. But here's some rules. We clarified expectations. Mm. Be safe. Go the speed limit. Wear your seatbelts. Obey the laws, et cetera. You got it, son. Yeah, got it, dad. Got it, mom. Are you clear about these rules? Because if you violate the rules, then you'll lose the privilege to drive. Don't worry, he said. I'm clear. <laughs> so everything was great, you know, for the first month or so. Hmm. And I'll never forget, Jeff, it was a Friday night at midnight, about a month after he's been driving. The phone rings. My wife, his mother, answers the phone. I hear her say these words. Well, I'll let you talk to his father, officer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and sure enough, it's the police. My son has been pulled over for speeding, mm. excessive speeding, as in going 83 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. Oh. You know, so he's a good kid. He just had teenage judgment. He, and he said, well, Dad, I was just trying to get home for curfew, so I had to hurry really fast to make it. So we we played this thing out, mm. and we actually went to court with him, and and the judge fined him $555. Hmm. Well, we made him pay it, took away most of his savings from a summer job that he had had. But then to our surprise, the judge did not take away or suspend his license. He did not. We thought he would, but he didn't. Wow. So guess who did? <laughs> Mom, Mom and dad. We took away his license. Why? <laughs> because we wanted him to trust us. And we felt like if we don't hold him accountable to what we had mutually agreed to together, I made a big deal out of it up front that he wouldn't trust us. Mm. Neither would his siblings, you know, kind of like mom and dad don't mean what they say. Mm. We feel like we need to hold them accountable to what we agreed to. So we, we took away his license. Oh, that was hard on him. He was embarrassed with his friends. Mm. You know, I can't drive anymore. It was hard on all of us. It was hard on us as parents. Cause you know, over that last month, he'd been a, driving the other kids around and we liked that. You know, we, <laughs> he helped us out. It was hard on everybody. But I'll tell you what, after several months, he came back to me and said, Dad, I'm ready to drive again. And I asked, are you clear about the expectations, Mm. the rules? He replied, I've never been more clear about anything in my life. (laughs) Well, here was the good news since that time. Since that time, he has become a model driver. Mm. Well, how do we know? Well, we see it, we observe it, we've seen it firsthand, but more importantly, we hear from his friends and even from his friends' parents. And, you know, when, when his friends are going somewhere, their, their parents might ask them, hey, where are you going? And they might hear, don't worry, dad. Don't worry, mom. We're going with Covey. 
And that means we are driving way below the speed limit. <laughs> you know, we are wearing seatbelts. This is no fun at all. He has behaved himself out of the problem that he had behaved himself into. And today, the trust is not only back to where it was, it's actually higher than it ever was. It is possible to behave your way back into trust. And in fact, even gain more trust from it. I've seen it happen firsthand in relationships on teams. I saw it happen with my son. I've seen it happen in organizations. If we're willing to behave our way back into trust, we can restore it. We need that in a low trust world. Try to identify a relationship where you'd like to restore trust. And, and maybe you're responsible. Maybe they're responsible. Maybe you both are, but focus on trying to Regain, reestablish that trust, restore it by looking in the mirror, starting with yourself and behaving your way back into it. And maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a situation at work. But if you're willing to behave your way back into trust, you can regain it, establish mm -hmm. it. And that's exciting. And then maybe someone else needs to do it with you and you allow them the chance to do it, to behave their way back into trust. The point is trust is learnable and it is, it's through our credibility and our behavior. It's growable it's, and it's even restorable in most situations. Mm -hmm. And that's important in a world of declining trust. We need more trust in our world, not less. And while it takes two or more people to have trust, it only takes one to start. And each of us can be that one. Mm. Wow. Well, the book again, now 15 years old, celebrating its anniversary uh, this year. The Speed of Trust, the one thing that changes everything. If you're not among the two million people who have purchased it, who have read it, Add yourself to that list today. You will not regret it one bit. And keep a lookout March 22 for the next one, again, called Trust and Inspire the New Way to Lead. Stephen, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Jeff. Always great to be with you. And I wish uh, you and all our listeners every success. I'll be the first to admit that though this book has been around for about 15 years, I only read it in the last 18 or so months. I highly encourage you to pick it up if you haven't already. Links to do that in the show notes. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 383 for episode 383. There you can also find links to connect with Stephen on social media and more. If this show has brought you some value over the years, even if just today, will you consider pre-ordering my upcoming book? It's out August 31st. You can pre-order it now for 40% off and score $500 in additional resources. Just go to readtoleadbook.com. That's readtoleadbook.com. I'd love to get a copy in your hands before the end of the month. And oh, by the way, if you happen to be in or around the Nashville, Tennessee area around the 31st of August when the book comes out, consider joining me in person for a book launch celebration. You can find out all about that at readtoleadbook.eventbrite.com. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. As always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.